If you enjoy this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and visit our website at lifebetweenthevines.com. When I was here in the late 60s, my dad ran Inglenook. I worked at Inglenook as a kid. Uh, I was 19 years old, I think. You know, there was Charles Krug, Louis Martini, Inglenook, Beaulieu, Berenger, Joseph Phelps was, uh, had just started, Heights, uh, Stony Hill had been started in the, in the mid-50s or late-50s, and that was it. Discovering and tasting wine shouldn't be a homework assignment. And we believe that the people who are closest to wine have the best stories. So open a bottle. And welcome to podcast number 535. This week we feature Karen Cakebread, founder of Ziada Wines, Napa Valley. Small wineries, small production can equal big results. That's something many of our listeners love to learn about. Karen Cakebread is founder of Ziada Wines in Napa Valley, and spending time in the vineyard is her passion. Karen and I have chatted many times over the years, but it's been a long break up till now. It was nice to be in a relaxed setting to talk and laugh as much as possible. Listen to Karen on our Vino Lingo segment defining the term zipline. I'm in Calistoga, and I'm here with our very dear friend, Karen Cakebread. Karen, how are you today? I'm great, Ray. Good to see you again after a long break. Yeah, a very long break. Well, we had life, then we had COVID and, and stuff, and so here we are. And uh, thanks for taking the time to be here. As My always. pleasure. Appreciate that. Uh, Karen is the maker of Ziata Wine, and uh, it's been a while since we've talked in detail about it, so we should have you explain the name Ziata, which I think is very cool, the story behind it. Well, I think that's the question I get asked the most is where did the name come from? And it's uh, named after my mother. It's an abbreviation of her middle name, Annunziata, and uh, my Italian mother. So I think that um, she lit up like a Christmas tree when I told her I was naming the brand after her. And it was difficult to come up with a name because of the regulations that we live under producing alcohol. And... um, so I had to make something up. So I used mom's name. Yeah, that's good. And especially abbreviating it too, which made it this little tribute that's sort of your little thing. And how long have you been making Ziata? Ziata was founded in 2008. That was my first vintage with uh, about 200 cases of Sauvignon Blanc and a few hundred cases of Pinot Noir. So I'm thinking 2008 or 2009 is when we met. Yes. That's a long time ago. Well, 2009 would have been my first release. The spring of 2009 was my release of the Sauvignon Blanc. I'm always hesitant uh, in front of anybody to ask about years, but how many years have you been making wine, or at least involved in the wine business? Over 30 years. I'm losing track. It's creeping up on probably 35. That's a, a good amount of time. Yes, it's, I've seen a lot of changes in the valley over those years. Good, bad, in between, or a little of everything? I think probably a little of everything. I think that we just have, uh, I think we're smarter about our farming and, and uh, can be creative in difficult uh, times with climate. So, yeah, I think, I think in general it's a, it's a mix. Yeah. Um, I'm sad that we're losing our first-generation founders 
And um, so that's, that's, the, that's the sad part. But there's the next generation of vintners coming up. So it's all good. It's good to see the new generation coming forward, although um, in some cases we don't because sometimes the kids don't want to take over the business, which you can't blame them for. Gosh, I sure would take it over. But what do you do? Then you have to sell. And, of course, that changes the face of things. Yeah, yeah. And that is happening. You know, some families don't have the succession plan in place or they're just ready to move on and do something else in life. Sure. Being a winemaker is hard work. Yeah, and selling it is even harder. (laughs) How many cases are you producing now again? I am annually producing around 3,000 cases. That's a pretty good size for, you know, a small operation. A little person, yes. Yeah, a little person. (laughs) A little person. (laughs) When you got into this, uh, was there a moment where you thought, I must be insane to do this because this is so much to dive into monetarily, time-wise, and physical labor. Yes, I think that the reality of selling wine is always the hardest. I'm sure every wine producer will tell you that, but I didn't think about it. I just had been working uh, in the cake bread family for so many years. I felt like I was pretty comfortable in the wine business, and when I started my own brand, I I sort of didn't think too deeply about it. I just woke up one morning and said, this is what I need to do because I just love being involved in every aspect of the process from the vineyard to the table. Was it really that simple? I didn't say it was easy. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I think that I didn't overthink it. Yeah. Otherwise, I I probably would not have done it. I'd like to say I'm brilliant at marketing, but I didn't really do any market research. I said, this is what I want to make, and this is what I'm going to do, and I just did it. I think putting your face out there, though, being visible to people made a difference, and uh, sort of a a soft campaign. It wasn't really in your face or anything like that. No, I was a one-woman show, so I was doing everything myself, from managing the grape contracts, working with my winemaker, to doing all the sales and marketing, and ordering all the bottling supplies for... Uh, bottling up the wine. So it was hard to to um, do it all. You were spinning your fair share of plates. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, look where it's gotten you and, and you're still making wine and you're still doing it and you still have your head attached. Yes. And we just put the 2022 vintage in the barrel. So that's all... It's, it's hard to believe that it's been that long. So for 2022, let's talk about the vintage and how that went for you. Well, it was a bit of a crazy year. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure you've probably heard. We, we sort of divided into there was the harvest before the heat spell and the harvest after the heat spell. So um, because I have Sauvignon Blanc here at my home vineyard, I'm always picking early August anyway, or early to mid-August. But everything was coming in quickly. Um, I was finished with Pinot Noir by September 1st. And that's never happened before. Really? And so we were on a path to, to be finished with harvest probably mid-September. And then we had a heat wave. Uh, just a little heat just wave. Just a, yeah. a, a major heat wave for, you know, 100 plus degrees for, you know, several, seven to 10 days. And then followed by a rainstorm. So, you know, Mother Nature, that's the beauty of this business is that you just never know what she's going to throw at you. And I, that's what I 
about, you know, learning about how to farm better through the years is we can manage those major events in the weather uh, during the harvest. So I would say it's, you know, there's the before and after. I did pick my um, Bordeaux reds after after the uh, rainstorm. So I think the flavors are are there. It, interestingly enough, I was worried about picking the Pinot Noir too early. and uh, But we went out in the vineyard and tasted the fruit, and it was ready. So, you, you know, you just have to go by how it tastes and about the chemistry and and not worry about the date. It's interesting you bring this point up about by taste. Uh, is that versus measuring bricks? Is that in hand in hand? It's an addition to. I mean, it's just part. It's just part of the decision making process. Uh, there have been plenty of vintages where the bricks were creeping up, but the flavors weren't there, and and um, so you, you do, it's it's all you know. There's there's a, a lot of tools in the toolbox to determine when you want to pick. But, sure. you know, for me, I loved walking in the vineyards uh, as we get close to harvest and just tasting the flavors and uh, and then tasting them on a regular basis. And then you just see it all come together in that, in that magic point of, it's, oh, yeah, it's time to pick. It's fascinating to think about, though, that the tasting of the grape versus then you, you get to must and you have all these different periods of time where it's changing its personality and kind of like a child because it is your child and how you categorize that in your head to know this is this this is that it's uh got to be a bit of a challenge well it's fun because that's how i remember vintages Mm. is by Mm. walking through the vineyards and and tasting the fruit and um and paying attention obviously to the weather and all the um, things that go around that but i you know this was a, a a little bit of a wild vintage as far as weather and trying to get everything in early when it was ready. There was Pinot Noir was coming in before Chardonnay and it was it was just all kind of turned upside down. But you know, I was worried more about getting the fruit to the cellar mm. uh, if there was enough labor in the vineyards to to deal with with this fast paced harvest. So it was we did it. And the, and the wine is is beautiful, and it's the flavors are there, the acidity is there. You know, it's I think it's going to be a great vintage. Good, I look forward to it. Um, you had mentioned before home vineyard. What I'm seeing out the back window is that your property then? Yes, this is Sauvignon Blanc. Okay, about how how many acres do you have? Or so about one and a half. It's okay. you nice. know small, but it goes into my Sauvignon Blanc blend, and I have a seventy percent Sauvignon Musquet clone. And the rest is clone one. So it's sort of a mix. I, I, I love that mix of the uh, Mosquet and the Sauvignon Blanc together because of the flavor profile and the aromatics in the wine. Mm-hmm. You know, some years it's more uh, tropical. Some years it's more stone fruit. So yeah. it just depends on Mother Nature and what the vineyards, what's happening in the vineyards at vintage. But I'm, I like having that blend. It's about 50-50 in, in, the, in the full um, blend of the Sauvignon Blanc. Well, that's nice with the, the, the idea of identifying the vintages by that fashion. And you have kind of this mental computer, I'm sure, between these vintages. To, yeah, what to little I, capacity I have in my computer. <laughs> yeah. Data banks are kind of full at this yeah, age. Yeah, <laughs> I, I understand that. And everything else, basically, you're leasing. Is that right? Yes, I contract with, um, uh, I have great contracts with several growers. Uh, every year we do an appreciation lunch for them after harvest in November. And it's just a great time to sit around the table and break bread. And everybody gets to taste all the wines. 
and they all have a, a, some, you know, they've all touched that wine in yeah. some way. And, and the first year I did it, they said, this is really fun. Can we do this every year? So, mm. so I do. And I'd send them away with a little gift packet of wine to, to, uh, enjoy, but it's, that's the foundation of making wine is those relationships with the growers and the vineyards that you work with. And that's where I pay a lot of attention to and building those relationships and maintaining them. It's good karma. Yeah. yeah. I love, well, I've, I'm a country girl. I would much rather be outside than inside. <laughs> yeah. Well, I understand that for sure. When you're looking to get grapes from another vineyard, is that a word of mouth thing for you? Or are you going from the same vineyards every year? Is that consistent? I should start with that. Well, I always approach it when I'm looking for um, a varietal or a, a, another vineyard to add to a varietal, say the Sauvignon Blanc or the Mia Madre blend, uh, Cabernet blend. I always am looking for long-term relationships. And as I said, it's like dating for the first year when you get together with a grower and you work together for a year and see if everybody is, um, if the synergy and everything is there. And then you get into a you know get into a longer term relationship. So I my go into it thinking long term, and uh, if something doesn't work out, then you say goodbye and you move on. But that's usually not the case. I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that way, and it is word of mouth. It is just knowing people. I've been in this valley for almost 35 years now, so it's hard not to know people. Yeah, and you know who to call when you're looking for fruit. So that uh, that. Yeah, I, I don't look in the I don't look in the ads for fruit. It's, it's definitely. <laughs> no, yeah. I didn't. And imagine it's just that. yeah, and it's just finding growers that have the same passion for quality as we do for making the wine, and the end product. And those are the people that are fun to work with. Yeah, I would imagine. Are you super hands on in the vineyard as far as direction, what you're looking for? Is it again a cooperative thing between some of the growers you buy from? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm hands-on as far as getting out in the vineyards, but our growers don't really need a lot of hand-holding mm. because they're farming for quality. Uh, yes, Jennifer uh, Williams, my winemaker, is in the vineyard all year long, and she calls the shots on when to pick. Um, so it's it's a combination of the two of us. I'm, I'm more, from my perspective, I like to just go out and get a sense of what's going on in the vineyard. But she's she's driving the ship. Yeah, and well, it's a winemaker that makes total sense. Yeah. But it's you know you have this cooperation still between the two of you. Oh yeah. Are you, I'm assuming that you're involved in blending yourself. I am part of those, uh, definitely part of those sessions. So Jennifer and I, and now we have a, a director of winemaking uh, in our facility that we use. So we sit down together as a team and with the assistant winemaker. So there's a group of us now that sit down and work on the blends together. Uh, that's fun for me. It's always, I'm always a little intimidated sitting around the table with winemakers and, and working on blends, but I always come out knowing more than I thought I knew. <laughs> so it's like, I still am gaining that confidence of, of being a winemaker, right? But it's it's fun. It's 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 amazing how a little uh, drop here and there can change the flavor profile of the wine. It's crazy. For me, one of the most fascinating things of the 8 million things I think that are fascinating <laughs> is blending and that decision-making. Um, do you have a point where you're... I really think this is the best way we need to go. Is it something you hash out between you in a blending session? or? I think it's a conversation, right? So Jennifer knows 
you know, she'll come up with a base blend and then we will add and subtract things uh, and just try different things, you know, different trial blends. And it's just a discussion. There's an, there's never a debate about what's wrong or what's right, but I can easily say I prefer this blend. Mm. And I would say most of the time that I am um, in line with what the winemakers are, are leaning towards. So we're, we're a pretty cohesive team. We all sort of have a similar style and, and um, yeah, I would say we have a similar style. So it's easy. It creates the magic. It is magic. It is so magical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The little elves come out at night. Oh, yeah. no, let's not go yeah. there. Do you have a mentor uh, or mentors, uh, somebody you look to that really guided you or you just, mm. you know, really in your head? Um, you know, I'm blessed by having a, probably a lot of mentors and people that I've grown up in the business with. I remember when I was working at Cake Bread Cellars, being on the road doing internet, all the international marketing for Cake Bread and standing next to John Schaefer and Bernard Porte and all of these amazing producers and winemakers. And I, I just, you just, I look at everybody as my mentor. I don't just, I can't say I just have one particular mm. person, but I think I just surround myself with people that have the same vision as I do and and I have a lot of female friends that are winemakers. So, yes, I look at Donnie Dyer and Heidi Barrett and um, all these amazing women that are uh, making delicious wines. And, and so I think, yeah, I think I'm just, I think I have a whole valley yeah. <laughs> of mentors. Sure. There are many more women winemakers than there have been at the past, which is great. And it's growing. It's interesting. Last time I remember premiere going through the book and I just thought I'd start counting the pages just for fun and it was really interesting when you'd have four faces on a page and three were women mm -hmm. it's nice to see that change and you know that evolution is going to continue yes and I, I look at Jennifer and the winemakers that I work with as teachers I mean that's because I'm not a winemaker mm. I people call me winemaker but I'm really not making them white I'm part of the process but I learn every day when I'm there with them in tastings and blendings or out in the vineyard. So those, those are my teachers. Yeah, I And I that. continue to learn. I'll never know everything. That's good. Nobody wants you to know everything. It <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> was terrible to say. <laughs> I'm sure all the time people are giving you advice. Maybe uh, it's within the industry casually. Maybe it's somebody in a tasting room saying, gee, uh, what's the strangest advice you've ever been given? Uh, advice that made you raise your eyelids going, hmm. Oh, yes. Well, I have a funny story about that. I was having dinner with Dan and Nancy Duckhorn. And, of course, what's Duckhorn known for? One of the things is Sauvignon Blanc. And I was at Press Restaurant and the three of us were there, and Ziotto Sauvignon Blanc was on the wine list. So Dan ordered a bottle, and he tasted it, and he said, "Yeah, this is really, this is really pretty good." He said, "It would be better if it had some Simeon in it." And I just laughed because I'm not making. I said, "Dan, I'm not making Dacorn Sauvignon Blanc. I'm making Ziotto Sauvignon Blanc." <laughs> so, and I stuck to my guns. There's no Simeon in my Sauvignon Blanc. Good for you. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It, it, if it was all the same, it, there'd be no need for 10,000 different labels. Right, exactly. Yeah. In the industry, 
things can can make you crazy, and that could be good crazy or bad crazy. <laughs> what about for you? Either way. What makes me crazy? Yeah, about the wine in business, wine industry. Oh, bottling. Really? Yeah. That's like my least favorite thing of the whole process. A lot of things can go wacky on the bottling line, and um, you just have to be patient. So I think that's one of the things that drives me crazy. Hmm, interesting. Plus, it's not exactly the sexiest part of winemaking because it's loud. Yeah, and nobody really sees that anyway, except yeah. those of us that are involved in making the wine get it in the bottle. But that's, uh, it can be challenging. Are you always there at bottling? Mm-hmm. That's very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I, I, like I said, I'm, ha- I'm involved in every yeah. step of the process from being in the vineyards to on the crush pad, um, you know, processing the fruit during harvest to blending, bottling. You're hand in hand with the grape. Yeah. I am. If grapes had hands, but that would be, <laughs> that would be immensely crazy, <laughs> creepy. You spent a lot of time in this business. Uh, one of those experiences that you look back on going, I can laugh at it now, but I sure as hell couldn't at the time. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I can say this. <laughs> um, I guess I can say it in a more general way is... Uh, when I was using, when I was custom crushing and sharing a winery with other winemakers, there's always a little tension mm. about when you're bringing in the, when you're bringing in your fruit and people are bringing in fruit, you know, all morning and somebody thinks that they should go in the press before you and it's, um, um, there was one winemaker, I won't mention any names, that uh, as we had the bin of Sauvignon Blanc ready to dump into the press they ran up and said stop 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 and we're like what do you mean they're like no that's my press I'm going into that press and we're like uh no I don't think so so we had to we had to have a little uh, back and forth about who was going in where and um we won Oh, nice. <laughs> You're seeing the back behind the, you know, cellar just duking it out or yeah. something. Yeah, and it wasn't quite that bad. No. But, yeah, it can be a little stressful. Oh, yeah. That would be very stressful. That would, because something like that takes a period of time. Yeah. And your grapes are sitting there going, we're ready. Yeah, and you're all standing around, you know, hurry up and wait kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Get, get the fruit to the winery, and then you're just waiting. Yeah, no, that would be no fun whatsoever. Hmm. But then again, too, uh, you're in a cooperative situation like that, and and you have to pull back, I guess, from mm-hmm. time to time. Yeah, we, yeah, you're in a sharing situation. That's why it's nice to have my own uh, facility now. And there's some, although it is a shared facility with with uh, other um, like-minded brands, mm. there's somebody there that's doing um, air traffic control. So it's all, <laughs> it's all, you know, it's all. Uh, scheduled properly that we're all not falling over each other. It's a good way to put it, air traffic control. Like yeah. yeah. We were talking before about this idea of connection to the land, and clearly that's a big deal to you because of your involvement, your vineyard here. Is that something industry-wide that uh, concerns you? Well, I think that um, for those of us that live here full-time and live it and breathe it every day, I think we have more of a connection to it. Um, and, you know, Napa is a highly sought-after destination and a, and a place to live, and I think there are plenty of people that have part-time um, 
homes here that like to dabble in the wine business as well. So, you know, I, I think that they, I've seen plenty that have a passion, and then I've seen the other sort of absentee owners that aren't as connected as, as when you're here and living it full time. Coming to the point in the interview for my favorite question, uh, you have been very experienced in this industry. You've done plenty of media, but what's the one question that you've never been asked that you would like to be asked? Whoa, <laughs> it's like, that's an interesting question um, that I would like to be asked. Why am I doing this? I mean, why am I doing this? Why are you doing this? Why am I doing this? Why? Because it connects me to Mother Earth, and it's a creative process from growing the grapes to making the wine and to meeting the people that enjoy the wine. So I make wine from the heart and from the land. And plus, I get to go out and play outside all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. But yeah, I think I do it just for a creative process. And, and um, it's a living product. And I love food and wine. So what better combination the to be in the process of making one of those, and I chose wine. Good choice. I think so. Yeah. For anybody who would like to try the wines, should they call you, go to your website? How would that happen? They can do either. So my website is ziatawines.com. My contact information is there. If they reach out to me uh, by email or by phone, we can set up an appointment. Too bad it's been too long. It needs to be a lot shorter next time around. I love seeing your smile, Karen. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Ray. Learn more by visiting ziatawines.com. Thanks for listening to the longest-running wine podcast online. Subscribe to the podcast at lifebetweenthevines.com or sign up to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Life Between the Vines comes to you from Fifth Floor Recording Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Produced and edited by Ray Fister. Our host is Kay Pascoff. Our web geek is Dan Gieschen. Original music by Ray Fister. Copyright 2023.